Welcome to California Nation. I'm your host, Brian Anderson. On today's show, I sit down with Tom Steyer, the man you've seen on TV calling for President Donald Trump to be impeached. Later on, I take listener mail in our Buzz of the Week segment and answer your DMV questions. But first, we begin today's show with walnuts. More specifically, how President Trump's tariffs are affecting California's walnut industry and consumers. Enjoy the show. We are not going to have a circus here. I appreciate the president's tweet when he thanked me. Can you please hug me? (laughs) California's leaders are in open defiance of federal law. You know what, everybody? They never thought we could do it. Sorry, got turned around. I looked at the door. I was like, there's no one at the door right there. Perfect. Well, you're here now. Yeah. Where would you, uh, where would you like to start with a little, uh, uh, a little tour might be nice. Meet Donald Noreen. Like many farmers, he's struggling. In short term, we're anticipating a little pain, difficulty covering costs of production for the year. Donald grows walnuts for a living. Earlier this month, I took a day trip to Wheatland, a small city in Northern California with around 4,000 people. Turning right onto Pleasant Grove Road here. Now it's peak harvesting time in the area for walnuts, and California is expected to produce 690,000 tons of walnuts this year. That's a record high, up 10% from 2017, according to the USDA. But farmers aren't happy. Worldwide, there's more walnuts than previous prices would accommodate. Thus, our price is declining substantially. And then there's President Trump's tariffs. He imposed additional taxes on other countries' exports into the United States. Some countries, including China, have responded with retaliatory tariffs that will hit the U.S. walnut industry by narrowing the market for farmers. And uh, the Trump tariffs probably aren't helping, but you know, sometimes, sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. That's Pat Mecklenburg. She's another walnut farmer in the area. You know, I mean, I was thinking about it, and I think about it. It's like, it's like when you find out you have cancer. You know, one day you're feeling fine, then all of a sudden you, you're not feeling fine. You feel sluggish, and you, now you start hurting, and you go to the doctor. And then the doctor puts you through chemotherapy, which is hell, so that you can come out and live a more prosperous and longer life. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now. So the Trump tariffs are like the process of cancer. <laughs> it is. You where know, you, there, there's, you know a, it's, it's, there's a problem you have to address or you'll die. Experts say there's no doubt the tariffs will lead to fewer agricultural jobs. Here's what Republican Congressman Tom McClintock told us in our last episode. Tariffs have produce consistent results whenever they're applied. They harm the economy of any country that employs them. Despite economic fears, there's a sense of optimism within the farming community that Trump's crackdown on China and other countries will be a good thing in the long run. Not only are most growers that I'm I'm, uh, familiar with, peers of mine, uh, optimistic that trade negotiations will give us a clear path forward, you know, a, a more straight playing field, but also we're going to develop some new markets with lower prices. Maybe there'll be better worldwide demand for increasing California walnut crops. But as countries like India, China, and Turkey raise costs on walnut suppliers, 
there's still good reason to be worried. The Trump administration has responded to concerns by rolling out a program to purchase commodities hurt by the escalating trade war. The walnut industry will get $34.6 million in assistance from the federal government. This pales in comparison to the $1.5 billion California's walnut industry generates each year. No, it's nothing, you're right, and it's not meant to be a, a solution short-term or long-term. It's only meant to be, you know, some kind of, let's call it an inoculation. It's a Band-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> but if you cut your main artery, it's not really going to help. In the meantime, walnut growers continue to plug away at their job, tirelessly working through an arduous production process. First, a piece of equipment called a shaker takes the walnuts off the trees. After that, sweepers pull the nuts into rows, rakers tidy things up, and pickup machines transport the walnuts to the main production line. From there, a shuttle cart unloads the walnuts and moves them to a hauler machine. The holder cleans the walnuts before they go off to the dryer. From there, the walnuts are loaded into trucks and sent off for suppliers to pack and ship them. This is done over and over again on Marine's 750 acres of walnuts. We want good quality, high meat yields, good color, and the kernel that uh, folks enjoy looking at and eating, and will fetch a good price. Folks like Noreen are passionate about what they do. If you don't put a lot of effort in, you don't get much out. As for Mecklenburg, things can only get better from here. The short-term pain is the prices are probably at the floor right now. Uh, it's hard to make a profit if the prices don't come up. You won't make a profit if the prices don't come up. But if we don't do something, we'll never make a profit. So... We're going to have to go through a rough year and see how things settle out. 2016 presidential election, I assume you voted for Trump. As, I did. Was that at all a difficult decision or was it just, oh, it's so easy? That was so easy. 2020, going to be easy decision to vote for him again? Absolutely. I wouldn't have a problem at all. We'll be right back. This podcast is produced by the Sacramento Bee. So if you want to support this podcast, please subscribe to the Bee. We're rewarding new and existing customers this month with opportunities to win some cool prizes. Just go to sacbee.com rewards and enter promo code BUZZ. We'll add 5,000 rewards points onto your account. That's B-U-Z-Z at sacbee.com rewards. This is California Nation. I'm Brian Anderson. Earlier this month, I traveled to San Francisco's financial district to catch up with Tom Steyer. He's the billionaire you may have seen on television. Over the last year, he's been running ads calling for President Trump's impeachment. He's also the founder of NextGen, an organization working to register young voters and support Democratic candidates in the upcoming midterms. We spoke at length about Democratic messaging. Here's a part of our conversation. So. Need to impeach, NextGen are your two main organizations that you're backing right now. Can you just sort of explain to our listeners why you're not going the traditional route of backing candidates and putting money 
into the horse race of politics and doing it in this different way? Well, we're a grassroots organization and we see ourselves as trying to empower broadly the people um, across the country. So when you look at um, Next Gen, it's really an attempt to engage people in the political process, to get them involved, to give them the power to make their own decisions. And so if we're, we're on 421 college campuses, our goal is to let people between 18 and 35 understand what's at stake and how much we need their voices and their votes to be a representative democracy. Will this time be any different for young voters? Well, as far as midterm turnout. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, you can't say for sure. What we can say is that 18 to 35 is the largest age cohort in America. It's the most diverse age cohort in American history. And they vote at half the rate of other American citizens. So we believe to have a representative democracy, it is really important for that age group. And by the way, I have four kids who are 24, 26, 28, and 30, so fall right in the middle of that uh, age cohort. I love, the, it's a great generation. But it's a we generation that doesn't vote. <laughs> no, it's a generation that hasn't voted. Because we strongly believe this is a group of people who are passionate, knowledgeable, engaged, don't trust the system, and haven't felt that their vote mattered. And what we're, our, our whole goal is to engage them so that they realize that it's not their vote, but it's their generation's vote that will change everything and that it's really important that they participate. So you originally started by asking me, Why not is it going to be different? And my answer is, we strongly believe that it, we're trying to build the foundations of democracy. We're trying to get power back of, by, and for the people. And that's exactly what we're doing at NextGen. Your key focus for you in the midterms is targeting house races. Which do you see as the most vulnerable or most swingy that could tilt the scale for Democrats? We have, we, there are seven to nine very, very close house races in California where Republicans are the incumbents and where there's a very realistic chance that a Democrat could win this year. 55% of Americans, over half of American citizens normally do not vote in a midterm election like 2018. So the question is going to be, not how do the 45% who do vote vote, because there's a little bit of variability there, but not much. Sure. The question is, is a significant portion of that 55%, do they think it's important to show up this year? And that's why we're spending so much time trying to talk to and empower young people, because if, if over half the people don't vote, can you really call yourself a democracy? And you clearly articulated the landscape and the, the problem of, of the past. What do you think the answer is going to be in the midterms to your questions? Meaning, do I think that people will turn out? Yes. Well, let me say that I'm basing this on anecdotes. And I'll give you a story from last week. I think last Wednesday, I was at Cal State Fullerton. There was a shockingly high percentage of students who were registered. There was a shockingly high number of students who knew that the voting day was November 6th. And there was a shockingly high number of kids who intended to vote. So, I'll, you know, as I was leaving, I did this for a couple hours. I was walking over to get, go back with the organizers to see what else had to be done that day. 
And I don't like to walk by somebody because it's like everybody's a chance to engage, and I, so I hate to miss a chance. There's a young woman sitting there doing her homework with earbuds in outside. Yeah. Two good reasons not to want to talk to me. <laughs> so, of course, I interrupted her. And I said, excuse me, are you registered to vote? So she takes her earbud out of her thing and says, excuse me? I said, excuse me, are you registered to vote? And she said, yes, I am. November 6th, I got it. I will do it. Put her earbud back in. That is a change. We're seeing that young people across this country understand that there is a dramatic and painful cost to their not voting. That if they don't vote, people don't care about them or listen to them. And that they have something really, really important to say as a group and we need them to say it. And so when, we, when I was on that campus, when I talked to people, I would say, I'm begging you. So let's, let's transition to Trump and talk impeach Trump movement and skepticism for polls. One poll from PPIC, and I think I referenced this in our last interview, and for listeners, you can go back to June and read about uh, Mr. Steyer's efforts to impeach Trump. So back in our conversation, you said it is the top issue because it touches on every single other thing. And I had brought up PPIC asks voters, Public Policy of Institute of California asks voters, what's the most important issue? And they'll say, oh, jobs, immigration, the economy. Healthcare. Healthcare, you name it. There's a list of about 15 and different things. Not on it. And impeachment's not on it. How do you explain that? Well, I think that if, if you were to ask people today what's the number one issue, look, we've asked hundreds of thousands of young people that question. Hundreds of thousands. And, if, if, and when you listen to them, now these are college students by and large. So they come back with cost of college, healthcare, racial justice, climate, and environment. Mm -hmm. the fifth is probably gun violence. And the White House's actions touch on every single issue there. Absolutely. So why focus on impeaching Trump and not focus on healthcare or college affordability, not saying you're, you're not walking and chewing gum and also touching so on those depends, other issues. When you say that, it depends in what context. If you ask, why are we running an impeachment petition? Sure. That's a different question because in terms of our other uh, activities, we do talk about every one of those other issues. In terms of the impeachment petition, what we're trying to do is stand up for the democracy and protect the safety and health of every American. And so if you, you know, we have 6 million people, it's actually probably 6 million, 40,000 people who've signed our petition. Out of a population of 320 million though. Correct. 4 million of those people normally don't vote in midterms. We have 4 million people who are in contact with every day. We're gonna send out over a million and a half handwritten letters to them asking them to vote from other people on the, on the list. Sure. If we can, that's almost, 10,000 people who normally don't vote, who've actually signed a petition to impeach the president per congressional district. Do you worry that the, the kind of the impeach Trump effort could backfire and mobilize Republicans who say, hey, keep Trump in office. The Democrats, they're a mob. They're coming after us. We need to protect uh, you our You know, it's president. funny. It's funny. That's been sort of a, a meme for people uh, to worry about. But actually, if you if you examine it even superficially, you'll see how stupid it is. And let me give you an example. I think somebody looked at 5,000 Republican commercials, wasn't mentioned. If this is such a big deal for Republicans, if this is really how they're gonna mobilize, 
I think it might be in one of 5,000 commercials on the air. So I think that that was always something that was sort of a boogeyman that people dreamed up. I don't even know why. I think what's actually true is if you, if you look at two things in the last two weeks, we obviously saw the president breaks the law all the time on his taxes. So just quickly, make no, the no. case for President Trump's impeachment. It, simple. Two things. One is, has he met the criteria? Two, is it urgent to get him out? So there are two questions. He clearly breaks the law every single day because he takes money from foreign countries. Emoluments clause. It, and that is an absolute prohibition in the Constitution. He's clearly tried to obstruct justice. You've seen him do it in public for months. So in terms, we've had, I think we got 58 constitutional uh, scholars to opine. It's a lay down case that he has met the criteria nine different ways to be impeached. Then the question becomes, is it urgent? And I would say to you, just look at the last two weeks. The UN came out and said that if we don't solve the climate crisis in the next 12 years, there will be unimaginable suffering. And the commander in chief said, actually, I'm not sure they're right. It's like, based on what? Will Mike, Pen will Mike, be a will Mike Pence be a step up in advancing <laughs> climate change initiatives though? You know, Brian, the way this world works is, you gotta solve one problem at a time. And so when someone says, well, if you, if you flip the house, that's not gonna flip the White House. Does it even matter? It's like, no, it's not flipping the White House, but it's a dramatic step forward. And I'd say the same thing about getting rid of Trump. Will Democrats regain control of the House this midterms? What do you so think? So Brian, let me make You're a You're not gonna make predictions? I'm gonna say something else. Normally predictions say a lot more about the person making the predictions than they do about what's gonna happen in the future. So let me say, I am wildly optimistic. And I am wildly optimistic because I really believe in the American people. Are you I wildly really believe optimistic that that, about the Senate? I, about the Senate? Yeah. You know, we haven't, I haven't looked at every single one of those Senate races. I can read the same polls that everybody who's listening to this podcast can read. So I don't need to go to them and tell them what 538 says about the Senate. What I believe is that that girl who told me she was going to vote on November 6th and was polite enough to tell me that and knew all the facts is going to vote. And I believe we're going to see an uprising by the American people against this really corrupt administration and this hostile corporate takeover of our democracy. And I believe we're going to see something really powerful. And I think the American people are going to say enough. This is absolutely unacceptable, and we're, doing, we're going a completely different way. That's what I think. With the key context that 2020 is after the midterms and that midterms are the focus right now, what are the qualities you would look for in a 2020 presidential candidate? Because I know if I ask you, I'm not going to get an answer. So what would be the qualities of a 2020 president you would like to see? Positive vision for America. Are there any people in the Democratic Party you see that could bring that positive vision? Any names you could give? <laughs> I think it's too soon. You know, my, my attitude on all this is, this is all about November 6, 2018 right now. It, let's, see, let's see what really happens. Let's see if what I think is gonna happen is gonna happen. And if it does, then the question is gonna be, how are we gonna build on that for exactly what I'm saying, which is to create the positive society we were set up to be that we've been for almost all of our history instead of what we are now, which is dysfunctional and led by a very corrupt group of you know, self-interested and people who represent a tiny shred of American society.
One of the final questions I had was just the growing concern about hyperpartisanship in this country and growing divisions and rifts. Do you see need to impeach or next gen as contributing to this divisiveness that we're seeing in the country? So I think everybody in America, including me for sure, is dismayed that our normal system of compromise, maybe, I, I like to say, we're a loud and vulgar people. We scream a lot, we you yell a like lot. You seem like a quiet, shy, reserved man though, I Mr. Really, Steyer. I really am, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> we scream a lot, we yell a lot, we're really practical, we're very idealistic, we, we make a compromise, we solve problems and we move on and it's not happening. Washington is totally dysfunctional. And it is, there is hyper-partisanship. And I think that people in the press love to say, oh, there's hyperpartisanship on both sides. But let's talk about, for instance, climate for a second. There's one side that literally will not accept scientists' expertise on science. So there's nothing to discuss. I don't mean to equate both parties as and equal. And that's my point, is but, you can't. But it is fair to say many people on both sides are contributing to it. I, and, I, and let me respectfully disagree. There's something that has happened in American society that we've never seen before, which is a, a political party, the Republicans, have decided not to represent all of the American people. As far as the Democratic approach to what we're seeing nationally, Michelle Obama's approach, when they go low, we go high. Eric Holder said, when they go low, we kick them. He added a lot more context to it than that. But what do you think should be the Democratic approach? The truth. That's all we're talking about. If you listen to what Mr. Trump had to say about um, Dr. Blasey Ford, he said, I don't care if she was telling the truth. It's like, really? Because that's what was at issue, my friend. You decided that it didn't matter what the truth was on a very important question. Well, they don't care what the truth is on any of this stuff. And so the, the question reach, is why you- How do you, you reach people who dismiss the truth then? Or, we, do you, or no, are they just unreachable and you can't we reach them? You asked me what our strategy was and our strategy is to tell the truth. Period. Straightforwardly, not scared to tell it, not shying away from it, telling the truth. Seems to be a novel strategy in Washington, D.C. Mr. Steyer, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. <laughs>
Perfect. So I have an answer to your question, finally. Okay. So it was not the DMV's fault. In fact, it was not anybody's fault. This is just a very common thing, apparently. And apparently what had happened was you registered to vote at a DMV office, and you had an existing record under Rod Cardwell, where you were registered since April of 2000. And oh, my gosh. Yes, and your old record did not have a driver's license or social security number, so the two records were never linked. Oh, okay, that's understandable. Yes. And, yeah, I... Hmm. And uh, according to the county elections courts in Sacramento, a voter does get issued a new ballot when they have an address change, and voters can receive up to three ballots. So you only receive two. Some people receive three, and what it means for you is... It's what you return that matters. Okay. So uh, once you return one ballot, the all the other ballots are automatically void. So okay, that's let's good. Say, so let's say you returned two ballots, because I know you had concerns about fraud or some other people exactly. that could vote twice. So if you turn in one, the other one gets voided, um, and they just have a system called first one in wins. So the first one in is the one that counts. Help. <laughs> okay, I appreciate your diligence on this, and uh, I will return it under Rodney Allen Cardwell. I'll, <laughs> I'll use my proper name. Uh, gosh, going back to 2000, you know, that's 18 years ago, so I might have just inadvertently wrote Rod. Okay, I really appreciate it. I only have one final question. How does it feel not to be the victim of the DMV? Oh, pretty darn good. That's it for this edition of California Nation. If you have a headline or question you can't get off your mind, please give us a call at 916-326-5538. Again, 916-326-5538. You can also check our show notes for more information. You may end up on our next show like Rodney. We operate on a bi-weekly basis, but with the November 6th elections quickly approaching, we decided to air an extra episode next Thursday. Again, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. You won't want to miss it. You can follow me on Twitter at Brian R. Anderson. That's B-R-Y-A-N-R-A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. Make sure to follow Capital Alert as well for the latest political news coming out of the Sacramento Bee. Until next time, I'm Brian Anderson. This is California Nation. Walnut farmers aren't doing well. But that's just for now. Yeah. I mean, that's just for now. There had to be a time in your life where you weren't doing well and you were still optimistic, weren't you? You were in college, probably. I'm a reporter. I've never been optimistic about a damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I'm saying.